Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Timothy Alvarez, President of Otero College, as our guest. Um, so take us back a little bit. Talk to us about what led you to the presidency um, at Otero College, and also tied to that, who are your mentors? Okay. Well, Brad, th thanks for the question. And I, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, again, I'm going to go back to when we're, when we all go to college, we think that life is linear, right? That, that you get this degree and you get this job and you just kind of move up the ladder, but, but life is not linear. Uh, and, and I think most of us probably realize that as the older you get. Um, I, I can't imagine anybody growing up in a small rural community. I grew up in Western Nebraska, town about 900 people. Uh, I'm a first generation kid, uh, grew up in a low income family. My mom went to seventh grade. My dad went to the sixth. And, and what I've come to find out, I'm gonna ramble here a little bit, Brad, but, but hopefully I'll get to the point. But, but I, I think a lot now, uh, knowing that I'm, I'm on the generative stage of my life is, how do we find our calling? And, and for most of us, Brad, it's because our parents know somebody, you had the opportunity to interact with them, um, you know somebody, maybe you had an injury and you, you spent some time with the doctor, you think, yeah, this would be a cool career. Well, again, my mom went to the seventh grade, my dad went to the sixth, so they didn't, we didn't know an accountant, we didn't know a physical therapist, didn't know any doctor, didn't know an accountant, I certainly didn't know president of college. So how does a, a kid growing up in a rural community think that a president is even an option? If you'd have told me when I was 18, I would have said, no, that's only for smart people. Uh, so I, I, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I finished my associate's degree many, many years ago. And then uh, I actually managed a grocery store for 12 years. Oh. And I got up one day and, and told my wife, you know, I don't love what I want to I do. I want to go back to school. Married and had two kids, 32 years old. You can imagine what she's thinking. She's looking at me thinking, you idiot. <laughs> You've got a family to raise. How are you going to do this? So I found a school in, in Omaha, Nebraska that allowed me to work 52 hours a week and go to school full time. And I ended up, I got 67 credits in one year. And, and people always look at me like, how the heck did you do it? Well, I always say I'm too stupid to know I was supposed to fail. But, but in that absurdity is some truth, though, honestly. Uh, and so I, I started this journey and I got a job at a community college in in Torrington, Wyoming, and the, the title of the job was vocational evaluator. And I don't know if you know what that job is, but frankly, I didn't know what it was either. I just thought it was a cool title. A real rural part of the, the state, and my guess is they had nobody else apply for the position. They said, this idiot wants to come here, let's give him a chance. And so I had the chance to work there for two years. God, it was the best thing that ever happened. They, they gave me a chance. So kind of answer your question, Marilyn Cotant is the, is the person who hired me. And she took a chance on this kid that had no experience in higher ed. All my experience was in retail, finished the degree in one year and she gave me a chance. Mm -hmm. but, but I think that says a lot. So uh, I, in fact, I was just communicating with her just the other day, um, how fragile life is, right? And somebody gives you a chance, somebody invites you and, and your life goes in a different direction. Um, so Marilyn Cotant would be first. Uh, Ruth Randall was my advisor uh, when I was working on my PhD. And this woman, I, she is incredible. Uh, she just had this sense of uh, making you want to please her and want to do well and, and made you feel positive and that you were worthy 
And I, I can't say that I've had many people do that in my life. Uh, so that was a really powerful person who, who uh, she's a dear friend. And then Diana Doyle, she gave me, she hired me at Western Nebraska Community College um, as the VP for Student Affairs and is still a dear friend. Uh, she's one that always planted seeds to say, you need to think about being a college president. And I have this thing that I call the invite for all of us, um, that, that virtually all of us at one point, if you're successful, JP and Brad, some point in your life, somebody invited you, right? Somebody said, Brad, you'd be really good at this, or you should try to do this. Or JP, you know, you should try this. I know it's going to be hard, but I think you could, I think you could do it. Um, so, so that in my mind, when you have people that believe in you, you'll do things you never, ever thought you would do. And I was, as I was going through my search process, uh, after I was at North Dakota State University, I kept hearing in the back of my head, college president, college president. I thought, you know, can I do that? I don't know if I'm smart enough to do that. Uh, so I just started saying, okay, if I were to be a president, where would I want to be a president at? And knowing my experience, I'm a first gen, I'm a low income student of color. I said, I want a community college that's rural, that is an HSI, uh, that has housing, that has athletics, that is like a small liberal arts school. And this does it all. So I'm, I'm privileged. I get to do a dream job. I mean, I, again, I look back, I get to do things only my parents dreamed of. So sorry, I rambled a lot, Brad, but I, no, that's 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 an amazing story. Are you kidding? That's that's great. Um, and I would I'd imagine too, and maybe you could speak to this. How did how do your experiences leading you to the presidency help impact how you treat students? Yeah. Well, and thank you for that. Uh, well, uh, I remember reading a book by Dana Cheek Heath. It's called Made to Stick. And one of the the thing that really resonated me with me is we forget what it's like to not know. We forget what it's like to not know. So I, I think of myself, I go back to myself when I was 18, thinking I had no clue what school was about or why I was going to school or what the future meant or how much energy I should put into it or that I need to know faculty or I need to build relationships. I had no clue on any of that. Um, so in my mind, that's part of our, my job now is to develop a system and a model where students know that before they leave our campuses. So I've been talking to my campus a lot about being career ready. And, and unfortunately, sometimes we have this negative connotation that we're not here to teach people to, to get jobs. But in my mind, we're here to give them skills so that they can enjoy life more. And having a good job is part of that, but it's not all of that. Uh, so the career exploration part, uh, Brad, is something that I really tried to focus on on our campus. Again, thinking, well, I'll tell you a little bit about campus, so it'll kind of give you a little context that uh, our campus is in a real rural part of the state, if you're familiar with Colorado, mm -hmm. the high plains, we're 60 miles from Pueblo, 150 miles from Denver, town of 6,000 people, a very impoverished community. Uh, out of the nine, three out of the nine lowest educated counties are within my service area. Three of the nine lowest educated are within my service area. So those are things that we're dealing with here. We are uh, a Hispanic serving institution. We have almost 35, 40% of our students are Hispanic. About that same rate are low income and two thirds of our students are first gen. Wow. Two out of every three students. So that's, it gets me thinking about how, again, my experience when I was 18 and can we make sure that students have the kind of things that we expect them to have 
once they leave. So the first thing in my mind is realizing that for all of us, 70% of us find our jobs because of a network. 70% of us. So our students should not leave our campus without having at least one professional mentor, one faculty member who can write a letter of recommendation, who can encourage them to go to grad school, who can plant seeds. So that's why, in my mind, I want us to be a mentoring campus. So that's, our students should not leave it without that. In terms of uh, career readiness um, and having being ready for a career, all the research tells us, I don't know if you're familiar with NACE at all, it's National Association of College Employers. Uh, they have a, a list of career readiness expectations. So I've really talked to our campus and our faculty about these. And the first one is career development and understanding. Do, do these students, when they leave us, again, I'm going back to my experience as a first gen, do they know who they are? Do they know where their strengths are? Do they know what difference they want to make in the world when, once they finish school? And if they don't, our job is to kind of have some of those conversations before they leave our campus. And there's a number of other things that, that they're expecting in terms of being career ready that in my mind matter. Um, so I hope I answered your question, Brad. Oh, you, you did and more. So that that's perfect. That's great. And, and I think, you know, student success, how do you make sure that, that your students continue on, earn a four-year degree, get a career? How do you track that? Yeah, well, and thank you for that. Well, first of all, Brad, in my mind, I, I have to be honest, I, I think we need to reimagine what we define as student success. <laughs> to the public and otherwise, what are they going to look at? They're going to look at GPAs, they're going to look at graduation rates, they're going to look at retention rates. And, and I, I have to be honest, I don't, that's in my mind, that's the outcome. That's, that's not in mind what we should expect and what we should measure. Now, some of the things that I mentioned in my mind is when students leave us, do they know who they are? Do they know where the strengths are? And they know what what difference they're going to make in the world once they finish school. And then, you know, in, in terms of that, we have to help them have critical thinking skills, problem solving skills, the ability to work with people that are different than them. I mean, all these things that, you know, when I visit with employers, the first thing they tell me is we want people to show up, right? Yeah. We want so, so then as I visit with faculty, where is that in our syllabus that, that we're helping students understand that? First thing you got to do is show up. And, and, and I, I think faculty play a role in that, right? If students are coming to class late, if they're not showing up often, um, in, in fact, I, when I do a welcome to students, I tell the students, you are interviewing every day. You are interviewing every day. And, and give these faculty members a reason to be a letter of reference for you or to be a, to be a mentor for you, right? You got to show up. So those are things, I guess, in my mind that, if they're not in our syllabus, should they be? <laughs> and if they aren't and not appropriate, then we have to come up with other ways to help students develop these skills, whether it's athletics or student organizations, uh, internships, et cetera. And so how are you building relationships today with the local community and, and local businesses? Oh uh, gosh, in fact, we, we just finished our strategic plan and in the, the, the third, tenet of it is, is community and not only getting community on campus, but us going out to the community. So um, to me, the delighting part for me is that I, I've had some staff that have been out in the community. Um, I'll tell you, one of my staff members who's responsible for staffing or uh, student engagement has actually been out to the local businesses, just having conversations with them about, would you give students discounts for X, Y, or Z? 
And the cool part, it doesn't have to be me. <laughs> and so, so it's been really, she's come to me and said, you know, I found out things about town that I would have never known by just by going and having conversations with him. Now, certainly I'm on a number of boards, whether it's the chamber, whether it's uh, uh, Main Street Board of Creative, uh, um, creative Communities, Workforce. I mean, I do that, but but I'm in one person, right? So uh, part of our charge now is we have to get other members of my staff engaged in the community. So so that's, and we're in town of 6,000 people. Uh, good thing is everybody knows you. The bad thing is everybody knows you. Uh, so that's, uh, I guess, the exciting part is that we're, we're having more staff engage and connect with the community. And then our next challenge is how, how do we get our community on campus? And although we are a local, small rural, we're still, for some people, I don't think we're accessible. We're still this little Harvard on the hill, and we need to change that. It needs interaction with our community. Do you, do you have dorms, or are most people, or is everyone, do they commute? We have residence halls, okay. so so words matter, and, and it uh, we don't use the term dorms here. We use the term residence halls, and it okay because uh, and I'm old fashioned. I'm kind of anal about this, but hey, I like that better. No, because you know, I, I, the, the the term dorms comes from an old philosophy in terms of housing or or kind of warehousing students, warehousing people, right? Yeah, sure. That's not what we're about. We're about having a living, learning experience for students. So. They're residence halls here. So yes, we do. We have, and I guess I didn't mention this, we have 12 sports here. We have about 250 athletes and we do have residence halls. We can house up to 330, 350 students. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, our campus behaves more like a small liberal arts college than it does as a community college. Because again, we have athletics, we have housing, we have student organizations. Uh, and that part to me is really cool. So Brad, I'll tell you a quick story. When, when I interviewed here, I always like to go to wherever I'm interviewing. I like to go early, and try to find students, try to visit with them. And so I, I came a little bit early and I happened to find some students. They didn't know me from Adam. So I just started asking them about their experience. And, and they didn't know me from Adam. And then I'd asked them a couple of questions. And they said, we wish this campus was a four-year school because we would stay here. Hmm. And that said a lot to me, right? I mean unsolicited and so that really said a lot about the campus and the culture and i've heard that numerous times over my four years here that students say they, they love the campus because they have the sense of belonging we care for them uh, so i think that's something that makes it special now most campuses are going to tell you the same thing but but i thought that was one thing that really drew me to this small rural community college and that sense of belonging uh do you see yourself becoming a four-year or adding degree uh four-year degrees no we we actually have a four-year degree on campus it's not through us we're collaborating through cu denver so we okay. can actually come here in fact we were a model for the state we started this four or five years ago and other campuses have picked it up but uh through cu denver we have a relationship where students come in they're actually admitted as a freshman and they can apply for the t prep program and they can go straight through never leaving campus get a degree in elementary education, uh, middle school math and science, high school math or science, and stay here. Now, we don't have big numbers, but uh, every year we have three to six people that graduate and they all stay here. So that's, in my mind, some a way that we are serving our community. 
Uh, we're looking at other programs to try to offer bachelor's programs, not through us, but collaboration with others. We're also looking at bachelors of applied science. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but we're looking at adding a few programs related to mental health or behavioral health, as well as uh, business programs in bachelors of applied science. So how many students do you have today? We have about 1,100 students. Uh, 350 of those are concurrent enrollment students. So that puts us to about 800 students. We have about 250 are athletes. We have about 300 of our students are nursing students. And then we have a cosmetology program that's about 20 students. Law Enforcement Academy, that's about 20 students. Uh, welding, that's about 20 students. And in the middle of building a construction trades program, because uh, in our local rural communities, housing is a real issue. Nobody's building houses. You can't find anybody work on houses. It's, it's frankly, we're in a housing desert here in terms of people coming in and doing construction and, and building houses. Do you see the community expanding? I mean, in the near future, I mean, growing with homes and businesses. Uh, God, I, I wish it's hard to say. I wish I could say yes, Brad. I mean, uh, but no, I mean, our rural communities are really struggling. The other, I, I guess the, the value that I see, Brad, is that maybe, just maybe, if we do some programs that, that allow people to gain some skills so they can work remotely, uh, I think this is a great quality of life. And for some of those individuals, maybe they don't want to live in the urban cities or the suburban cities and, and deal with the traffic and the high cost. They could live here. And so we are finding a, a few people starting to come back, realizing that they can live here. Housing is really pretty affordable if you can find it. And the quality of life, there's, I mean, there's there's not a lot of amenities, but if you like it quiet, if you like the outdoors, there's a, there's a lot to be said for this community. And I guess for me, part of our responsibility is, is to be an engine of social mobility and also try to create some experiences and maybe skills for these people to say, I can get my associate's degree. Maybe I can work remotely and stay here. Uh, so those are things I, I guess we're at least trying to explore. Well, and you talk about relationships, how important when we look at diversity, you know, and I, you know, we, we've interviewed a number of presidents that talk about, Hey, without inclusion and belonging, diversity doesn't mean much. Can you talk about what that means at Otero college inclusion and belonging? And why is that so important uh, for an institution for students? Yeah. Well, Brad, thank you for that question. I think, well, first of all, as human beings, we're, we're social by nature, right? And, and all of us want to feel like we have a sense of belonging. And so uh, in my mind, that's first and foremost one of the things that we're doing. So we are actually, our, our faculty are running some um, orientation classes, the first two days of classes here. Because um, here's the things that I think about, Brad, and, and hopefully I get to your answer. And if I don't, certainly... Uh, asked me to follow up. Well, what's the first day of class look like usually? First day of syllabus class, right? You spend 15 minutes of syllabus and say goodbye, see you tomorrow. And I think, you know, is it, so then I, I've been asking the question, what do we want that, your, what do we want those kids to say to their mom and dad when they call them after the first day, right? And that's going to happen. And then you say, Johnny, how was your first day? Well, I don't want them to say the faculty talked to me for 15 minutes. We went over the syllabus. I don't remember half of it. Uh, so we're spending the first two days with faculty having conversations about why they're there and having them make some connections 
Uh, again, I think about my experience. So why am I taking this English class? I want to be an accountant. Why am I doing English? Why am I doing history? To have them have some conversations themselves, put them in dyads and say, I want you to tell me why you want to be an accountant. Why do you think English is going to be important to you? So that they can internalize it and get their own agency about, oh, maybe I didn't realize it. I'm going to have to write reports or, or whatever it is. But so I think about those things again, realizing that two thirds of our students are first gen. They may not necessarily know some of these things that all of us know that we're older, right? Why do we wait till you're 30 or 40 to realize here's some things that, that we can work on? So those are things that I guess initially that, and I'm so pleased with my faculty, they want to get in engaged. And here's what the research tells us too, that students want to connect and engage. They don't know how, or they're, they're, they're unsure, or, or they're uh, afraid. And faculty want to engage, but they don't necessarily know what's the right avenue for them to do it. So we're trying to try to be a little more intentional about having them have some of these informal conversations. And I know I drive my staff crazy, but I think part of my responsibility is to create opportunities for collisions, for people to interact that may not interact. And maybe we have a welding kid interact with a, a history faculty member and they something comes up and they say, gosh, I made a connection here, or maybe he'll be a mentor for me or, or whatever it is. But uh, so that's, for me, that's exciting to see how this is going to turn out. Do I know how it's going to turn out? Heck no. But but I also think like the definition of insanity, right? We do the same thing over and over, but we want students to know more. We want, to, want them to graduate at a higher rate and higher GPA without doing anything different. So I'm really excited to see how this works and see whether faculty can connect and engage with students and whether students actually have a better sense of who they are and a sense of belonging. Is it hard to find, just based on where you're located, how difficult is it to find faculty? Uh, faculty, so far, not so bad. Since the pandemic, we've tracked this. We have about a 25% uh, attrition rate. Uh, but within faculty, we've only lost a couple. Now, that said, we've been trying to hire a science faculty for about a year now and cannot find anybody. We've been trying to hire nursing faculty. <laughs> for a year and a half now. And we just finally hired one the day before classes started. We're three nursing faculty short. So it's it's a conundrum. And we've raised the, the, you know, the rates of salary. And in fact, our nursing faculty are the highest paid faculty on campus. Um, it's a really expensive program to run. But our communities will not be able to thrive without us being able to do that for our communities and serving them. Um, Brett, did I? Did I answer the question? You yeah, you sure did. Okay. Yeah, you sure did. Now, hey, I noticed a guitar in the background. Do you play guitar? Uh, I guess it depends on your definition of play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I love to play. Uh, I play every night, just a, a little bit here and there. It's kind of a relaxer and, and a little therapeutic for me. So, Well, excellent. Where do you see Otero College in 10 years? Oh, gosh. So so my, my hope is, my vision, I, and I know, I, again, I drive – people crazy with this, but um, I want us to be the best rural community college in the state. And so people say, what does that mean? Well, it, it means to me that when students leave this campus, they're career ready, right? Some of the things that I talked about, they know who they yeah. are. They have a good sense of where their skills are at. And, and what, I, what I want is when they go to other campuses or when they go to the world to work, that people say, wow, that kid knows who they are. They have work ethic, they have integrity. They can work with people that are different than them. They have problem-solving skills. I want more kids like this. 
And in fact, we've had a school, Texas A&M, West Texas A&M uh, has been up to our campus because we've sent a number of our students down there, mostly ag, and, and they love our students and our students have a great experience there. So I know one of your questions was working with these four-year schools. So those are, I guess maybe I'm answering a couple of things, but I want our students when they go to other campuses for people to say, boy, that kid, why is that kid that smart? Why do they know who they are? They've got their stuff together. I want more students like that. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Hey, JP, uh, oh, there we go. Yeah, yes, I was on mute. I'd like to hear more about your story as, as a first generation student, as you mentioned, right? Um, you know, obviously, with the large population of first generation students, has things changed since your time? What is still the problem? What are not the problem, but what are the obstacles? to climbing the social economic ladder as a first generation student versus one who has, you know, a stronger support network who, who's been through college. Yeah, yeah. JP, th thank you for that question. And, and, and I, I put a lot of thought in this. Now, I, I just turned 65. I'm in the generative stage of life. And so oftentimes I think about, you know, the times that I grew up in. Gosh, I wish I would have known that then. So, so what I talk about with staff is the difference between the, the equality of opportunity versus the equality of outcome. And I'll explain that. So uh, most of the time we think when, when a student comes to school, first-gen, low-income, and we give them a little bit of money to go to school and we do some advising and they're able to get through school, we think, gosh, we've done our job, right? So, so what I think a lot about is when those two, let's assume these two kids, one's a first-gen kid who would have been like me, and then you have another student who, who maybe is not first-gen, but also understands that they did, uh, maybe they did student government, maybe they did study abroad, maybe they did some internships. And so they have their resume, right? I mean, so you think about two kids, same GPA, same degree, but this kid is leaving campus having leadership experience, uh, internships, other things like that. And then you would have me, who spent 35 hours a week working at a grocery store, who do you think is gonna get hired first, right? Who do, who do you think has more value in terms of what our community thinks? So I, I think about two things. If indeed that that kid has to work 30 hours a week to, to make things work, meet, because sometimes that's what has to happen, we have to help them articulate the skill set that they had, right? Because just you might think, well, I was just working at a grocery store. No, 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 you, you have some, work ethic, you have problem solving skills, you have other things that maybe you have not fully articulated on your resume or as you've done interviews, right? So, so that's what I think about a lot in terms of when kids leave here, we need to have them understand that the world of work is we look for three things. You look for the credential, which is pretty easy, right? That's the checkbox. And then we look for experiences. Okay, what kind of experiences you have you had? What kind of skills do you have? So those are things, I guess, in my mind that we have to equal equalize that as much as we can, particularly with our first-gen kids, having them have those experiences. So when they leave, their I guess their credentials and what they're bringing are, are closely equalized. Does that make any sense at all? It makes profound sense. I mean, and, and I, you touched upon a very important point because. 
just because you got an AA or you transferred, there are a lot of students that the outcome did not commensurate the effort, right? And part of getting a job is who you know, is or is being in a place, or at least knowing how to um, take advantage of, of the equation on how you're actually able to land a job. And now the question is deepened because, you know, if you are a student of color, if, if you, you're already at a disadvantage anyway. So not only do you not have the network, but now your resume is not being considered um, as well. So given the fact that, you know, your, your student body is highly disadvantaged for high outcomes, right? So how, how do you see that? I mean, how, how do you guys tackling this issue so they actually have a leg up or at least to end up in equal footing at some point? You can't solve everything, but I'm curious on some of the ideas. Yeah, so so here's my first thought. And I, you know, I've been visiting with our English faculty, and I think it'd be a really great opportunity that their first, one of their first English assignments would be to do a LinkedIn page. Right mm -hmm. with with who they are, what they've done, and then as they proceed through the two or three years that they're here, to continue to update it. And when they do things, whether it's a, a workshop or maybe they're even a work study, to put that in there and be more thoughtful in terms of not that I just did X, Y, and Z, but that I have these skill sets, and then have faculty members or other staff members help them write because you know you you can do. Um, you can actually support people by by doing references on their LinkedIn, saying, "Yeah, this kid." So I, I think there's ways to do it, but uh, uh, again, I, it's not going to happen by accident. I think putting in some systems and models to do that, and I think starting off with again that first week, uh, I remember visiting with one of our faculty members uh, about do they share their stories with students, and and she had told me no, I, she really didn't. But she's a first generation, low income kid. So why don't you share your story? Your, your story? Because uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this concept called a representativeness heuristic. So, so basically it means that we think in stereotypes. And when a student comes to your classroom, they have this thought, right? About who you are because maybe they watched a movie and they think you went to Harvard and you have this PhD. Most of our faculty are first gen, but, but yet our students don't necessarily know that. So, uh, I remember asking her um, a question and that the question I ask students now is what difference are you going to make in the world when you finish school? That's a different question because most time when people know that you're in school, what's the first question they ask you? What is your major? What's your degree? What's your discipline, right? Now, let me ask you this. Are, are you guys in, in careers that are related to your discipline? No. no. So, I, I am now, but not, not for my undergrad. Yeah. So, so for me, your undergraduate degree is, is more generalized, more liberal arts, and, and the likelihood that these kids, and all the research tells us this, that the likelihood that these guys coming out of school now, going to work for Plexus and working for 50 years and getting their gold watch and retiring, ain't going to happen, right? In fact, the research tells us that they might have 15 or 20 careers in their lifespan. So then what are the skill sets that they need to allow them to, to manage and adapt and change disciplines, careers, et cetera? Uh, and that's 
ability to work with people that are different than you, being a critical thinker, uh, you know, all those things that I'd mentioned before, knowing who, who your skills are at and how you can take advantage of them. Um, so, JP, I don't know if I answered your question. Tell me again. Totally. That's excellent. Um, and on that point, you know, the last two years, looking at all the research from the Commission of Community Colleges and what have you, you it's because of the changing job market, right? So there are also a lot of jobs that you could get paid a lot more now. So you could forego college. And unfortunately, I say unfortunately, I'm a little biased. It's a leading question. There's a lot of stuff on the media that how expensive college is. But they're averaging. Actually, college has become cheaper overall uh, in a lot of cases. It hasn't become more expensive all the time. It's not true in, in some cases. So you see there's this negative perception of colleges. There's all of this. The labor market is very high. And, and so how do you look at it? And there's been over 20% decline in community college students, mainly students who are economically impacted. And people who actually have more income are going directly to four-year colleges because of selectivity and changes. So how, how is, could this negatively affect students or is it good that they're foregoing college and going directly to work? No, and I, uh, um, what I worry about, I've been tracking the numbers uh, over the last, uh, since COVID, and we've lost, you know, anywhere from three to 5% first-gen kids, low-income kids, and some Hispanic kids. Um, you know, somewhere between two and 5%, may not seem like big numbers, but on a small campus like that, that's a big number, and that bothers me. Now, some of the things you mentioned, JP, you know, you can go work at McDonald's for $18, $20 an hour. I mean, that's that's $40,000 job. Now, we have some people that we hire for academic advisors that are $35,000 a year. And that's, you know, when I was 18, that's what I did. I, I They gave me an opportunity to go manage a grocery store, and I saw cha-ching, I saw the dollar signs. I can make this amount of money. It's going to be twice as much as I would if I had taught, because that's what I was thinking about doing. And so my thoughts, why would I go to school for two more years, spend that money and make less money than I'm making now? Stupid reason to make it, but also, you know, you're a first generation kid, a student of color. Some of those things you don't necessarily think about long-term. So part of my job is, is to continue to share that message and the story about, yeah, you, you may not think it's the right thing to do now, but long-term, in terms of quality of life, um, I always share my story. I get to do things my parents only dreamed of to this day. It's it's a privilege to do this. Um, and the, the world of work is going to change. It's going to continue to change. And those people, everything that I know about the world of work is that people with those skill sets are going to be the ones that are sought after. And it's usually the ones that have people skills. That's what all the research tells us right now. Certainly, it's nice to have some technical skills and otherwise. But if you have the ability to work and influence people, those are the people that we're all going to want to try to hire. Absolutely. And you can see my background, AI. This, this is a concern because what, what if McDonald's has machines cooking and delivering food? Um, there's so many, there's going to be some major, I mean, during the Industrial Revolution, automation didn't really impact us as much because it kept raising people's income. So we did not have all the riots that England had, for example, right? So, but we really don't know the future of job market. We don't know if this is going to be a major displacement or enablement. 
But figuring out what jobs are going to enable you and rather than replace you seems to be a big quandary at this point of trying to figure out and how we empower students. So do you think students are starting to understand or parents that, you know, you got to really think about how, how do you position yourself better in the next two to four decades? Yeah, that's, JP, I wish I had an answer to that one too. Uh, <laughs> but I, again, I, I always go back to uh, what are the skill sets that people want and, and that we want right now to be successful. And I think they're, in my mind, a lot of them are universal, right? First of all, you got to have work, work ethic. You got to show up. You got to have some problem solving skills. You got to be a critical thinker. Hopefully, work with people that are different than you. I think those handful of skills, traits, no matter what career you're in, can allow you to be successful. I, I agree. And you mind sharing your thoughts? Uh, has been around for eight, over 80 years now. If you could share with us the history of Otero, what it's been through, the philosophy of why it was created and its mission, it would be really helpful to us. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, this, like many community colleges, uh, this originally formed as an extension of high school. In fact, I think it was called uh, La Hunta Community College, maybe, or Junior College, something like that. But it was truly just an extension of the high school. And, and it, it morphs, of course. I think it was in, in the late 50s where it got to be its own entity. Uh, and then uh, come to recently, then within the last, gosh, I'm trying to think when we did this, uh, two years ago, we, we took the junior out of our name. So there is you know, a, a pro progression in my mind in terms of where schools go. And uh, traditionally, we were just an extension of the high school. And, and now I think we're a little more than that too, because certainly we offer some trade programs like welding and cosmetology and, and law enforcement academy. Uh, those are some of our CTE programs. But remember, we have about 250 athletes and I bet 70% of them, if not more, transfer to four-year schools. So, so we are a major feeder, which you can argue whether that's the right thing or wrong thing, but athletics is a major driver for small rural schools. Without that 250 athletes, we'd never make it. We just couldn't do it. And so virtually all of our small rural schools have athletics. Now, you could argue, you know, we're contributing money and time and energy. But on the other hand, uh, we have a really diverse group of athletes. And well, I'm a first gen students of color, it's an opportunity for them to get their feet wet, to understand what education is. And a lot of them are successful and go on. And uh, many athletes come to us thinking, I'm going to go to the NBA or, you know, I'm, I'm going to go be professional. And that doesn't happen for very, very, very many. For the bulk of them, they're going to be working in some, something different. So our job is to make sure that they have that skill set uh, so that once they get to that point, they're ready for that, that world to work. Um, did, did, I, did I answer it, JP? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, on that point, you mentioned out-migration. Um, what, what is happening? You know, are, they the, are the younger population, I know when we talk about out-migration, it's a lot of young people, right? Uh, old people, not as much. It's the population is getting older. For a young population, are they leaving after they graduate or are they just leaving before they graduate? What part of our migration concerns you at the moment? Yeah, you know, frankly, I don't, and maybe I'm looking at this wrong, but 
frankly, I don't mind students that, that finish here and go on. And, and we have a good relationship with uh, the Colorado State University Pueblo, which is 60 miles down the road. It's very close. Uh, Alamosa State, they're smaller schools. They have athletics and a lot of our kids will go to those places. Now, I, I think part of what uh, I've been challenging us to do is we need to make sure that as these kids, before they move on, to make sure that they're invited back. Right? So, uh, in fact, we have a student here, uh, uh, Joseph Eubanks, who was finished here, went away, and he's back working. So I, my job, our job is to plant seeds with these kids before they leave, right? Say, Johnny, you can leave. Go get your degree. Get some experience. Come back. We need you to work for us. We need people like you that are from the community, understand the community, want to be here, want to work here. Uh, we want you to come back. And planting seeds, I, I just think it's really critically important that we do that. And I can tell you, um, you know, we're talking a little bit about diversity. Our campus is not very diverse in terms of staff. I, I, I wish it were, um, but it makes me think, why is that so? And some of it in my mind goes back to, we need to, again, 35, 40% of our students are Hispanic, over 50% of our students are students of color. Why are they not coming back? Well, yeah. some of it in my mind is because we've not invited them. We've not said, Johnny, it's okay, go away, get some experience and come back and make us better. Yeah, absolutely, I mean, look, when you look at rural communities, right? Um, a lot of the land grant universities uh, that still exist started in rural communities. A lot of them were rural and now they're urban uh, or, or they're suburban. So some of them graduated to, to more higher population. But to this day, a big portion of our national parks, natural resources, water reserves, I mean, Colorado is famous for, is in rural areas. I mean, someone needs to manage his resources, right? So I, I think, am I on the right track that out-migration affects us nationally. I mean, on, on the election, there was uh, President Trump's election, there was a lot of worrisome about rural areas, but there's also, we lose a lot when people out-migrate professionally as well. Yeah, yeah, I, JP, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I hate it when our, our youth leave the community, but on the other hand, we got to have something here for them to do, right? And we got to have gainful employment for them. And uh, unless it's remote work uh, in this community, we have a little bit of manufacturing, uh, we virtually have, we've got a Walmart, which, you know, most of these rural communities do, we're kind of the hub, but we don't have a, a lot of uh, major corporations that are going to be here. I mean, certainly we have McDonald's and we've got a few other uh, Taco Bells that are here, but in terms of others, a few banks maybe, and we're one of the largest employers aside from the schools. So what's, what's going to keep people here and can you make enough money to, to survive in this community? Uh, is one of the biggest challenges. How is no, no tourism or national parks and things of that nature there? Uh, we actually have, uh, interestingly enough, one of our uh, big draws here in terms of tourist attractions is birding. Oh. Which we don't have a lot of trees here. <laughs> so, so birding is it? So it's surprising. We also have tarantulas in our neighborhood. So we have this, it's usually late September, October, we have like, it's a tarantula fest where people from all over the country will come and watch our, tran, our uh, 
tarantulas migrate. It, it's really pretty fascinating, to be honest, but it, it's a draw. We have Old Bent's Fort, which is about 15 minutes away from here, which is a really nice attraction. And there's a few other areas, outdoor things that, that are attraction for people, not big numbers. Uh, we actually have a, a Kashari Museum on campus, which is yeah, really unusual. Right. Most, most don't have a Kashari Museum and it's uh, traditionally kind of a native art gallery that do a wonderful job. It's, it's kind of a gem and it's a wonderful building. I was going to ask you my last question about the relationship of your school with the Native American community. Yeah, and frankly, we don't have a lot of Native Americans within our service area, uh, probably more so in, in New Mexico. Uh, but we do have the Kashari again, which has a, a lot of Native art. And they actually have what, what are called the Kashari dancers. So they have a lot of kids that do traditional uh, Native dances. And it, uh, it's been around for decades. President Alvarez, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure. It's been a, uh, a lot of fun. I, I, I love what I do. It's an honor and privilege to do what I do. And anytime I can share what we're trying to do here at, at Otero College, I'm always willing to do that. Excellent. Thanks so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.